Good morning. I'm Pastor Gary, and I'm honored that you have joined us this morning as we are live streaming our Easter Sunday message. This morning is perhaps the most important of all days celebrated by Christianity. It is today that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It is today that throughout history Christians have greeted one another by first saying, He is risen, and then responding, He is risen indeed. Indeed, our Jesus is risen. Amen? But first, let's talk about faith. Many today say that they have faith. But what is faith? I think that most people today would define faith as believing in something that you can't necessarily prove to be true. And so we tell people to trust in Jesus and to take a leap of faith. But I don't believe that is what faith in Jesus is supposed to look like. In fact, I would argue that none of us even live our lives like that's what faith is. In order to teach children, for example, what faith is, oftentimes they are told to turn their backs to their father or their mother, and then to fall backwards into their parents' arms, trusting that they will catch them. And we tell them that that is blind faith. But blind in what way? Perhaps in that the child cannot see their parent, but would the child be willing to fall backwards if they were unsure their parent might actually catch them? Absolutely not. They willingly fall backwards because of years of trust that has been built between the parent and the child. There is nothing blind about that. Faith is and can only be based upon historically factual evidence. And so today, if you're here and you say you have faith in Jesus, but are unsure of the actual historical resurrection, I would ask you that then, you are what, you, what then are you placing your faith in? Today, I want us to walk with Jesus as we look at his resurrection and what Jesus wanted the world to know about putting faith in his very real, very historical resurrection. My hope is that, that it, my hope is that as we look at John chapter 20, I would not be the one who speaks, but rather it would be Jesus within me that speaks, that the Holy Spirit within me would guide my words and my thoughts. And in so doing, you would hear the voice of Jesus this morning. Because right now, in this crazy, messed up, sick, and fallen world, we need hope. We need peace. We need Jesus. Let us pray. And then we'll dig into God's word to us this beautiful Resurrection Sunday. Lord Jesus, bless us this morning with your presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. Allow us to hear your voice. Allow us to place all of our faith in the very real, very historical reality of your resurrection from the dead. Father, fill us anew this morning with your Spirit, and let us be overcome by the joy and peace that comes from being in an intimate relationship with your Son and our Savior, Jesus. To start, I'm going to read through <clears throat> a good bit of John chapter 20 this morning, but not quite all of it. I'll be jumping around just a little bit. So let's read our passage. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. 
Both were running, but the other disciple outran, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead, though. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, Jesus, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she, what he had said, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, yet again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my st side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our story begins with Mary Magdalene, arriving at Jesus' tomb very early in the morning. It's still dark. She has come to finish the process of preparing Jesus' body for final burial. But immediately we are told that there's a problem. The stone, or the doorway, to the tomb has been opened. 
the stone rolled away. We're not told here, but she must have gone into the tomb to check, and she has found it empty. I cannot imagine the emotions that are now running through her at this very moment. Her initial thought is that someone has taken the body of Jesus. She must have been experiencing fear and dismay that someone would steal his body. We know this because she runs to find Peter and John. And she says to them, Someone has taken the Lord out of the tomb. Fear has a tendency to be infectious, doesn't it? Mary rushes and tells Peter and John that Jesus' body has been taken, and we're told that they run then to the tomb. How often have we experienced similar experiences? Even recently, perhaps. Just think about some of the social media posts about COVID-19 and how quickly we are to share that news. Mary was afraid, and she didn't want to be alone in her fear. She sought comfort in running to Peter and John. But what comfort did they provide to her? They run to the tomb, it says, that John was the faster of the two, and he arrives first. He looks inside the tomb. He is so shocked at what he finds that he's unable to enter. Then Peter arrives and rushes into the tomb. They find the strips of linen that would have been used initially to cover Jesus' body and head. What's unusual is the state in which they find them. If someone had come in the night to steal the body, they would have either taken the linens, perhaps, or simply left them lying on the ground where they would have fallen. But rather, Peter and John find the linens there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, it says, separate from the linen. And it is at this moment, when John sees this, we are told that then he believed. You see, he realizes that no one had stolen the body of Jesus. Because who would leave the linens like that if you're stealing something? The disciples return home, leaving Mary behind. They give her no comfort. She finds no comfort in sharing her fear. They simply leave her. She begins to cry. And then she looks up one last time into the tomb. And she sees two angels. And they ask her, Woman, why are you crying? She's so distraught that she's unable to recognize the very presence of two angels before her. She says, They have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. She then notices someone behind her. We're told it's Jesus, but in her pain and in her anguish, she has retreated so quickly, so far, inside of her own pain that she cannot see clearly. Jesus repeats the angel's question, Woman, why are you crying? And then he asks, Who are you looking for? She thinks this man is the gardener, it says. Jesus, the gardener. And so she says, If you carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Jesus then simply says her name, Mary. And in that moment, she recognizes him. I wonder sometimes how often we have been in anguish and in pain ourselves, and Jesus has come to us, and we fail to realize his presence. He is always with us. Now her pain and sorrow turn to joy, and she reaches out to embrace the Jesus, her Christ. But he says to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am to return to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He rushes back to the disciples, this time with good news, and she tells them, 
I have seen the Lord. And she delivers the message Jesus had given to her. Why does Jesus say to her, do not hold on to me? I do not believe that he is telling her not to physically embrace her in the moment, but rather he is telling her that she must not hold fast to his physical presence with her. You see, he is still yet to return to the Father. The Father is still yet to glorify Jesus. Jesus is trying to move the focus away from his physical presence. Jesus is trying to point them forward to the coming of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verses 19 through 20, Jesus tells the disciples, Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This is what John believed when he stood there in the tomb. Jesus now has sent to us the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mary was overjoyed because the words of Jesus have now come true. And so she rushes back to the disciples and says, I have seen the Lord. Jesus spoke of this in John chapter 7, verses 38 through 39 as well, where he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. We then read that Jesus appears to the disciples, who were hiding behind locked doors in fear. He appears before them and says, Peace be with you. He then shows them his pierced hands and his side. And then he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sin, anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus physically appears before them. He can be sh we can be sure of this because he shows them his wounds. He then gives to them the gift of God himself dwelling within them. He fills them with the Holy Spirit. And then our doubting Thomas comes onto the scene. I have the utmost respect for Thomas. He is open and honest with where he is at. The disciples tell him, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, yeah, right, sure you have. He wants proof, physical, real proof, something that he can touch. He needs tangible evidence. He wants to see. Jesus doesn't come right away to Thomas, though. Instead, he waits one week. He waits an entire week. And then, as the disciples are once again holed up in hiding, Behind clocked, closed doors, hiding in fear, Jesus appears and he says, Peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas and he says, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas responds and says, My Lord and my God. Jesus then says, Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas' words here are a confession of his belief in who Jesus is. The ultimate doubter of the resurrection of Jesus now gives to us the greatest confession that Jesus has been physically resurrected from the dead. That Jesus' resurrection is a historical reality. John's telling of Jesus' ministry is consistently pointing forward to this very moment. John over and over again reveals promises described mysteriously in his narration of Jesus' story. All of these mysteries are now revealed. John consistently points us to the hour, 
that time that all of Jesus' mission and ministry culminates. When through his death, his resurrection, and his return to the Father, that those whose faith in Jesus are transformed by all of those promises in nearly every story of John's Gospel. The story of Lazarus isn't simply the story of some dead man and his grieving family and friends. It is the story of the very creator of life and who therefore holds the power of resurrection of that life that he creates, who not only draws Lazarus out of the tomb, but foreshadows his power over life and death in his own empty tomb, his own resurrection, and his own triumph over death. God is so gracious in this story to give us four glorious examples of faith. First, we see Peter and John rushing to the tomb. And even though they do not see the risen Jesus, the evidence that stands before them is enough that John believes in the resurrection. Second, we see Mary meet a gardener who simply speaks her name and she is then able to recognize him as the true risen Jesus. And she declares to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Third, Jesus appears to the disciples. They not only see evidence of his resurrection, but they hear him and they receive the Holy Spirit. In their joy, they share the great news with others and say, we have seen the Lord. And this leads to our greatest show of faith, Thomas, a man who is no different than us, a man who desperately wants concrete evidence of the resurrection. He didn't experience the empty tomb. He has not heard Jesus. He has not seen Jesus. Perhaps you're here listening to this, and you're no different than Thomas was. How can we believe in that which we have not experienced, have not heard, nor have we seen the resurrected Jesus? Today, just as Jesus challenged Thomas to believe to have faith in the resurrected Jesus, Jesus is challenging us just as well. Thomas obtained what he desired, and so he believes. But he misses on the blessing that Jesus pronounces in that moment. Jesus promises to uniquely bless those who believe, even though we cannot reach out and touch Jesus' wounds. John, throughout this story, is laying the very foundation that the resurrection was an actual historical event. It is not some spiritualized story that we trust can change us somehow. When Mary, Peter, and John went to the tomb, it was empty. Then when Jesus comes to Mary, he is no phantom. He is a genuine man who can be seen and heard and embraced. When he appears before the disciples, he greets them and immediately provides proof that he is the very man who hung upon the cross. A physical man. A man with wounds so real, he encourages Thomas to touch them. At Lazarus' death, Jesus goes to Mary and Martha and in John chapter 11, verse 25, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' own ability to step from the grave becomes the first evidence of the truth of his words. For John, the reality of the physical resurrection of Jesus is paramount. We see this also in the first letter he wrote to the churches in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-2. through 2. 
reads, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John is not only seeking to show the historical reality of the resurrection, he is also pointing us toward the change that was to come when Jesus was glorified by the Father. John is pointing the disciples toward a new, intimate relationship with Jesus. He is pointing forward towards a spiritual intimacy, a oneness that comes when Jesus gives to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That moment when we come to faith in Jesus, and Jesus in that moment sends the Holy Spirit to reside within us and to seal us. Mary wept at her loss, a loss that none of us could have ever experienced simply because of the separation of time. But there is a sense in which we have lost the experience of seeing the risen Jesus, of hearing his risen voice, of touching his risen wounds. But Jesus wants to satisfy those desires that we have through the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's present here, now, with us and within those who believe. John shows this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, where he writes, This is how we know that we live in him, and he in us. He has given us of his Spirit. The resurrection, the Holy Spirit, and faith. Are there any themes more central to the Christian life? Jesus' resurrection makes certain Jesus' identity as the Son of God. He is the divine messenger sent with the message of truth and grace from God the Father. The resurrection cannot be something within the church that is open for debate. It is a historical reality and must be held as such. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 writes, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. God exists within what we call a Trinitarian reality. There is one God who is three persons. And as Christians, we tend to have little problem focusing on either the Father or the Son. But we oftentimes forget or miss the greatest gift we have here and now, and that is the very presence of God in our lives and the person of the Holy Spirit. We see here in our story Jesus first giving that gift when he breathes upon the disciples and gives to them the Holy Spirit. The master of the garden, that great gardener, so to speak, Jesus, breathes into his followers, transforming their lives eternally. This is an echo of Genesis chapter 2, where in another garden we saw divine breath enter a man, Adam, and bring life. Now a gardener, God's son, Jesus, does the same yet again. And Jesus brings new life through the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift from Jesus. This is no impersonal spirit or some strange sense of an ambiguous, inspirational force from God. This is God himself. Jesus himself, indwelling us as the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus desires intimacy with each one of us. And this means of that intimacy is now the person of the Holy Spirit. The intimacy that Mary sought in the garden when she reached out for Jesus and was denied is now satisfied. Jesus now resides within her, now in a way she could not have comprehended previously. And just as Mary and the disciples received the Spirit there, now today we do as well. When we place our faith in Jesus, we instantly obtain the gift of the Spirit. 
when we are filled with the Spirit, we experience the very living presence of Jesus within us. All of this necessitates our faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We are sure, we are certain of what we have not seen. Our faith in the historical physical resurrection of Jesus. We have a choice before us. John's gospel has been walking us toward this moment in time. Today, we can now see that Jesus' actual trial was not taking place in Jerusalem before the crowds or before Pilate. It is taking place right here, right now. There are accusations waged against Jesus throughout the book of John. Those accusations have not changed to this very day. Jesus walked this earth and performed divine acts that had mysterious meanings that have now been revealed. And we have watched as men and women have interpreted those meanings differently. Jesus is put on trial every day. And no one remains neutral. Some find Jesus' claims to be difficult to believe, so difficult that they are filled with rage against him. And still others try for all they are worth to disprove them. And still others saw his deeds, listened to his words, and believed. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Jesus paid the price we could not pay. Today we stand with the beloved disciple with John, and we stare into the empty tomb. Will we, like John, see and believe? Will we place our faith fully in the resurrected Jesus Christ? Will we be like Thomas? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have done in us. We thank you for the blessing of your son, Jesus. Lord God, we recognize we are incapable of paying the price for our sin that must be paid. We recognize that Jesus went to the cross in our place. That while he was upon that cross, you poured out all of your wrath and anger towards sin upon your son. Wrath that we deserved. For it is our sin that was placed upon him on that cross. In his death, he bought us from your anger. He paid the price. The ransom was paid. And now he calls us by name, and we are yours. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts. Remind us anew of these great truths. And Lord Jesus, for those here who perhaps for the first time are understanding these great truths, I pray that you open their hearts, that you touch them, that you help them believe. Fill them, Lord Jesus, with your faith. Jesus, call them to you. Call them by name. And now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.